African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning. It's uh, the it's the what is the date, Jolani? It's the seventh of June, twenty twenty one. It's eleven hundred hours Central African time. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Listen to us on the DSTV audio bouquet. We're on channel eight zero two. You can also live stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Ayandam Kwanazi, and together with Benjamin Moshadama, we'll be taking you through the next hour of African dialogue. Coming up after the news, we're going to dissect the unemployment statistics that were released last week. Uh, South Africa has hit an all-time high of 32% um, rate of unemployment. There's been increases in certain sectors, but also what remains critically important and a concern are the high levels of unemployment in the young people between the ages of 15 and 34. So what mechanisms can be put in place to address this? What policies need to also be considered to ensure sustainable hiring in the future? So we'll look at that after the news. Let's hand over to Jolani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. Top stories, a Sabah Zambian police chief denies reports the country's security forces fired on a convoy carrying an opposition presidential candidate. Mali's interim president to be sworn in today and the South African Medical Association again calls for stricter measures in the country as coronavirus infection numbers rise. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning. Zambian police chief Kakoma Kanjana has denied reports that the country's security forces fired on a convoy carrying opposition presidential candidate Hagainde Hichilema. This is amid a tense atmosphere ahead of the 12th August general elections. Local media reported on Sunday that Hichilema's convoy was fired at by police in the northern city of Chingola on its way to a local church. The government has banned public gatherings and political rallies with President Edgar Lungu, saying the restrictions are necessary to combat COVID-19. The opposition, however, believes that the bans are a ploy by the incumbent to maintain his grip on power. Colonel Asimi Goita is due to be sworn in as Mali's interim president today. It's been two weeks since he removed the transitional president and prime minister in a coup. The second is engineered in nine months. Last week, leaders of the West African bloc, ECOWAS, joined the African Union in suspending Mali's membership, calling on the military government to adhere to an 18-month transition towards presidential elections in February. France and other Western powers also want a return to civilian rule. 
The South African Medical Association, SAMA, has reiterated the association's call for stricter measures in the country as coronavirus infections number rise. SAMA says most coronavirus infections happen over the weekend. It says public transport, domestic travel and social gatherings are spreading the virus across the country. Most new infections are reported in the Gauteng province that currently has more than 22,000 of the 61,557 active cases in the country. Sama chairperson Dr. Angelique Kutsia. Increase in our numbers in hospital setups is over the weekends and people tend to over the weekends together and come together and have their parties and whatever they want to do over the weekends. Unfortunately not adhering to the measurements that's been put in place. Meanwhile, Dr. Priti Ramlakan, based in the Guazunatal province, has urged people to continue practicing COVID-19 precautions as the number of new infections reported again exceeded the 5,000 mark. Guazunatal Premier Sihlezigalala has warned that the province was on the brink of a third wave. Ramlakan has pleaded with communities to stay home and avoid large social gatherings. If we have good behavior and if we start to stop gatherings that will promote and and start to get the virus to spread if we do not play the roles of our three-pronged approach of masking, distancing, and sanitizing. And the third thing is if we don't turn up for our vaccinations, we're going to start to create a situation where the virus will take advantage of us. The African Union Commission's chairperson, Musa Faki Mohamed, has described the attack on civilians in Burkina Faso, in which 132 people were killed on Friday, as war crimes. He has called for prompt and vigorous regional and international action against the perpetrators. Nobody has claimed responsibility for the attack described by the government as an act of terrorism. Attacks by militant groups linked to al-Qaeda and Islamic State in West Africa's Sahel region have risen sharply since the start of the year, particularly in Burkina Faso, Mali and Niger. Sarah Kimani has the story. This is the deadliest terrorist attack in Burkina Faso's history, according to the government. In a statement, the government said the attacker struck a village on the border with Niger, killing civilians and burning homes and a market. The government has now declared three days of national mourning. Nobody has claimed responsibility for the attack. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has expressed his outrage at the attack, while Mahamat expressed his indignation and condemned the attack, terming it barbarism and war crimes. The violence has displaced over a million people in two years. This weekend's attack pushes to 500 the number of people killed by militants in the Sahel region since the beginning of the year. Recapping the top stories, the Sawa Zambian police chief denies reports that the country's security forces fired on a convoy carrying opposition presidential candidate. Mali's interim president due to be sworn in today. And finally, the South African Medical Association again calls for stricter measures in the country as coronavirus infections, infection numbers rise. For Channel Africa, I'm Chonani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective.
Thank you for joining us on African Dialogue. Today we zoom into the unemployment statistics that were released last week. South Africa's unemployment rate rose to 32.6%, up by 0.1 percentage point from the final quarter of 2020. This is according to Statistics South Africa. The results of the survey show that unemployment in South Africa has reached some of the highest levels in the country's history. In terms of the unemployed, uh, Stats SA now records that there are more than 11 million people who are unemployed. This number of unemployed may be even bigger, considering that a large number of the so-called 17 million not economically active is made up of homemakers or previously discouraged workers, many of whom would readily accept decent work if on offer. The survey also reveals that the official unemployment rate among youth, which is between the ages of 15 and 34 years, was 46.3% in quarter one. To help us uh, unpack these statistics, we joined on the line by Mamocheti Molopiane. She's a labor analyst, as well as Lilona Mklesibe. She is a researcher and budget analyst at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute. Good morning to you, ladies, and thank you for joining us. Good morning. Morning, morning. Thank you for having us. Let me start uh, with you, um, Liluna. You know, what factors have contributed to the current rates? Thank you so much. Um, so the current rate we see, um, you just explained that the unemployment rate is 32.6. But in actual fact, when we were to consider those who are not economically active and those who are discouraged from looking for jobs, you would find that the expanded unemployment rate is actually 43.2%. Now, this is almost half, literally almost half of the um, labor, um, the working age population in South Africa. Um, and this is very alarming. And, you know, the contributing factors may vary um, from different provinces, from different areas, especially now um, coming off the anniversary of the first emergence of the COVID-19 pandemic. We find that um, in our analysis, uh, we found that um, the private households and the informal sector were the worst affected by the um, hard lockdowns as well as the drastic shift um, in rates from quarter four of last year to quarter one this year. And when I talk about private households, I'm talking about people, um, domestic workers, you know, people that um, work um, in a private households. Now, those people and the informal sector, the, the vendors, the um, precarious workers, those were the people and still are the people that are most affected by um, lockdown and these stats. Now, they also say that uh, the stats say there were more than 7 million people who were unemployed and that Mm. the expanded unemployment rate has increased. What do we understand about that term, expanded uh, unemployment? Okay, so the... Official, when when you hear um, the bulletins or when you see a headline that states the official um, unemployment rate, they are only talking about people who are um, in the working system and who are um, continuously looking for work. So these are people that are economically active, you know, moving from job to job or trying to infiltrate the labor market. But then when we talk about the expanded rate, we are talking about the unofficial um, unemployment rate. And this figure takes into consideration those who um, have been, you know, that have been um, unemployed for a long time. We talk about maybe a year. 
And then those people who are discouraged work seekers, so people that have been knocking on employment doors but have not received anything for over a year. And we also look at those people who are um, economically um, not active. So when you're not economically active, it means you you don't have the means to participate economically, so you don't have an income and you're not in any education or training facility and then you're literally just stuck in the middle. Like you can't infiltrate the labor market, but at the same time, you are trying to... Um, get a living for yourself and you're not able to. So there are a lot of um, variables that are not considered when people are talking about the official unemployment rate, which is why you see such a big disparity between the unemployment rate, which is 32.6%, and then you have the expanded rate, which is 43.2%. Mamukheti Molopiano, what are your uh, thoughts looking at the statistics um, overall, what what key points have you taken from these stats? Yes, hi. That first of all, um, the economy is not doing enough and cannot do enough um, to put more people back into employment. And that uh, overall, um, the most affected people by unemployment happens to be uh, African or Black women, mm-hmm. and we know the spillover effects of that. In that. Um, for, for, for every woman that has a job or an income, they are able not only to sustain themselves, their households, but are able to stretch their income to sustain themselves in the longer term, but also to look after additional members. As such, um, the unemployment uh, numbers here in South Africa have a very gendered um, leanings that is very worrying because... Uh, Hypothetically, it's women who carry most of the economy and who carry most of the work, who, ter- who perform anyway most of unpaid work. So for me, that becomes a worrying pattern, a continuous trend that uh, 10 years or 15 years later, post um, a period of growth that was improving, uh, we are now um, in a economy that's in a recession, but also an economy that's unable to lift women out of poverty mm-hmm. and out of unemployment more than their male counterparts. And I think that is a significantly worrying aspect that is never really looked at in detail, besides the fact that stating that a number of African women have the highest unemployment um, numbers in, in, in their group. We also have been going through a pandemic for over a year, a little bit over a year now, and um, one cannot uh, speak of unemployment without also mentioning the impact of COVID-19. When you look back at the past year, Mamukheti, how much of an impact uh, or contributor has COVID-19 uh, played? Oh, it has been a significant contributor when you look at the sectors or the areas that were affected by unemployment, informal traders, um, people who are not um, in the clear definition of full-time employment. Sorry, the word just escaped me. But it has been significant. It it, it has had uh, that much of a significant impact. And also you'd look at how the economy has performed um, uh, before COVID and after COVID. It has... Um, it was just in a recession and COVID had, it has never been unable to recover. In fact, it was never going to recover. And we would remember that the economy itself has always been uh, broken along an abyssal line that 
separates those who are employed and those who are unemployed, uh, black people versus whites, um, and income and, and income and education level and so forth. But also we are seeing that even with the uh, stimulus, economic recovery and economic stimulus package that was supposed to have been injected into the economy, it has not done much. Um, and not surprising so because uh, South Africa has a GDP growth problem, more really than a debt problem. And we know that if it's unable to increase, if we are mm-hmm. unable to increase GDP growth to create fiscal sustainability, there is no way uh, in the long run the, the economy is going to to recover from 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 COVID. But also the presidential, the president's stimulus package that had two components, the above-the-line budget spending um, and the below-the-line has not been enough, has not kick-started sectors, uh, has not kick-started industries, I mean, I mean, companies to be able to create jobs. But also, and I think more significant for us is that there has always been a reluctance on the private sector's part to um, uh, um, um, rise above the occasion for like of a better description in creating jobs. I've always found South Africa's private sector to be more complacent rather than um, trying to um, 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 create employment. And we see this in the sense that uh, even where government has tried to meet them half, meet business half the way or recreate an environment where they could thrive. We are seeing, even with the stimulus package that was thrown in, there are still excuses as to why it cannot um, uh, jumpstart the economy. And for me, that is a long structural problem that is inherent in the type of economy that we have uh, and and also the fact that it's going to take quite a while before it recovers. In in fact, I I do not think recovery is possible. I anticipate that we are going to be in this phase for a while. Let's let me come back to you, Lilona. Now, we, we, we in your in your uh, analysis, your commentary as a spy, you, you also went into detail um, about youth unemployment. You know, it remains high, it remains very concerning. Mm. What did you find? Is it a matter of lack of skills um, that the youth uh, have or have not or not enough opportunities for them? Or could it also just be a combination? Um, yes, it would be a combination because we do have, um, you know, youth members that are in um, employment, um, I mean, training, education um, and the such. And then we do ha- see, however, that um, in our analysis, that when school leavers or when um, students or youth have obtained a formal education um, in any institution of higher education, um, they find it very difficult. It has become increasingly hard to be placed in in any formal um, employment. And this will then speak to, um, like the previous speaker has said, that the job creation in South Africa is lacking. Um, We are not equipped um, as an economy, as a country, to have unskilled work. And so, therefore, when we lack the infrastructure to create jobs and to create better education or to create more opportunities, we are then failing to meet the economic growth standards that we had set for ourselves. This whole system that we have is impeding on the economic growth that we need. And so we then see that a lot of 
school leavers and a lot of people that have formal um, education that are in possession of a degree or multiple degrees are finding it increasingly difficult to even infiltrate the labor market. And they are, they, they are then falling into the category of those people who are discouraged because we find that in our analysis that those people that are um, struggling to find employment, if the time lapse has come to a year, then they're not likely to go back or to continue looking for a job. And then this speaks to a very big structural change that needs to happen in not just the economy, but also into the labor market and the framework that we use. What are your thoughts, uh, Mamocheti, when we talk about youth unemployment? You know, why is South Africa not making headway when it comes to reducing the, the, the rate? Well, we, do, we simply do not have the economy that caters for mm-hmm. uh, young people, whether they are graduates or not. We simply do, do not have that. And it's because when you look often at the numbers that are, the stats that are coming from statistics that South Africa, you'll see that most of the people that are in that are employed are a higher and older age group. And at the the same time, we have uh, young people that are not employed. So older people stay longer in work um, for various reasons, not enough savings, for various reasons, not enough savings, and or or wanting to work much longer, or simply lifestyle does not allow uh, for them to leave work early. And as such, the longer they stay in, in, in work, it does not create opportunities for young people to enter that uh, that, that market because they have occupied uh, their positions or, or jobs and they are not leaving. And then secondly, we were never really an economy that um, has focused on sectors that it can employ or could, excuse me, employ young people. We have always been South Africa has always been dependent on on, on primary and, and, and secondary sectors, and they have its work. I mean, their, their workforce has continues to be much older people. The challenge also is that we have not adapted to the changing um, the global uh, economy that has now moved towards the services sector and has um, mostly relied on higher skills and and. and and, and as such, we are unable to take um, the young people graduating into the workplace. Again, I'll emphasize the reluctance of 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 of, of private sector to hire young people. We see it many times where even when vacancies is advertised, they are looking for more than five years, ten years work experience. We know that most of our graduates do not have that, and we. Even with the tax incentive that is put in place by government for companies to to to, you know, to incentivize them to hire young people, it simply is not enough because the kind of um, uh, qualifications that are coming out of our tertiary institutions or, or, or universities do not necessarily correlate with um, the kind of skills and the kind of workers um, companies are looking for in South Africa. And that remains uh, perhaps one of the biggest stumbling blocks why youth unemployment has become so prevalent, but also why we have not been able to tackle it because often um, solutions are assumed to be coming from government. And I I do not think government can give us a solution to youth unemployment. Let's take a short break, ladies, and we'll continue with the discussion. Also, uh, I'd like us to touch on technology, 
Um, you know, obviously with the impact of COVID-19, lots of companies and employers had to change the way they work, uh, working from home, but also just cutting down on staff and how technology has dominated the workspace just as a whole. Let's do that after this break. Have you ever asked yourself, what on earth am I here for? When God placed his image in us, he placed a sense of eternity within us. What is my purpose in life? I was made for greatness. I just don't know what it is yet, but I was made for greatness. Life by Design explores the journey of people from around the continent who live a life of purpose. They share their experience on how they discovered what they were meant to do. Join me, Amanda Machaga, every Monday at 8.05 Central African Time for your weekly dose of Monday Motivation only on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. Life by Design. Be the architect of your life. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective on the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a disease that causes respiratory illness like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty breathing. You can protect yourself by washing your hands frequently, avoiding touching your face, and avoiding close contact one meter or three feet with people who are unwell. If you suspect to have contracted COVID-19, contact the relevant health authorities in your area. Keep listening to Channel Africa. The African perspective will keep you updated on the latest on the coronavirus. Welcome back to African Dialogue. Today we're looking at South Africa's unemployment rate, which rose to 32.6%, up by 0.1 percentage point from the final quarter of 2020. This, uh, this is according to uh, stats, uh, Statistics South Africa releasing its Labor Force uh, Quarter 1 survey last week. One of the important things to note is that the survey reveals that the, and the official unemployment rate for young people between the ages of 15 and 34 was 46.3% in quarter one. To help us with the discussion, we're joined on the line by Mamocheti Molubiane. She's a labor analyst as well as Lilona Mklesiba. She's a, res- a researcher and budget analyst at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute. Lilona, how has technology impacted on, on the job sector overall? Um, that a lot of workplaces have now resorted to um, going virtual um, instead of um, people going into the office spaces and um, continuing their work as normal. Um, But this, of course, is the exception of essential workers um, who have been deemed to be able to work um, or to continue working in the same way that they have done. The role of technology has been, we've seen, um, has been very vast um, and also it goes sector by sector. Um, like, for instance, when we look at the informal sector, the role of technology hasn't been that great because people need to go out into the streets and to sell their products, more especially black women who predominantly um, dominate that sector. And so we've seen that technology has been good for others, but has not been so great for other sectors. Um, it's not as easy when when um, the president announced a national lockdown, a hard lockdown, level five, um, beginning of last year. We saw that a lot of people 
it was easy for them to just transition from going into the office and actually converting their living rooms into their offices. But then we saw that it had a very deep impact for those that could not um, one afford to have that luxury and also those who were not equipped or those whose sectors did not allow um, for that transition. And so we've seen that in some sectors it has benefited, but then for others it has been detrimental. And so once again, um, we see that those hardest hit have had to think outside the box, have had to innovate, have had to rethink the way that they are going to provide for themselves and for their families, um, as opposed to those who not necessarily have had to have those conversations. Your thoughts, uh, Mamukheti, on the impact of technology and as we all speak about this new normal, it's also very difficult, I'm sure, for some companies or employees to um, consider going back into the office because as uh, Leona is saying that people have converted their homes into offices, their garages uh, renovated into offices, it was just a simple transition, but there are those who are then still left behind. Yes, um, as the, guest, the fellow guest had said, uh, it affects different sectors and different occupations, it, uh, 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 not in the same way. And we, we, we know, as she has touched on uh, informal work, but we know in, for example, the banking sector and the mining sector, that it, technology has played a significant role in um, compressing occupation and compressing certain tasks into one and reducing um, the number of um, repetitive and routine tasks such that we are seeing lesser people and we are seeing uh, technology replacing those people and fewer occupations. So in the long run, and that is why it's not surprising that we are seeing for example, in South Africa, more banking branches closing over time because the digital transformation and the ability to take three or four tasks and put it into one, but also uh, remove six people and put it put the work, um, digitize the work and put in one person meant that um, technology has had a displacing effect on certain occupations and certain tasks. But at the same time, uh, there are some sectors that are thriving um, uh, with the um, when technology is uh, deployed or diffusing their operations. And mining manufacturing are, the, are those sectors also that um, are going, have benefited greatly um, um, in the sense that for, for, for an industry such as mining, technology has previously improved production and as it becomes more prevalent as synergies between technologies in use and new technologies of IR become more prevalent, it is also going to to have that. It's going to continue to increase pro, uh, uh, um, productivity levels. However, it will always have... Um, um, there's a catch-22, so to speak, because on the one side is improving productivity, so the productivity uh, effect is positive. On the other side, it might have displacing effect um, where uh, jobs and occupation are lost, and it even leads to uh, polarization of employment um, uh, in, 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 various, um, in various sectors of, 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 of the economy. So it's a catch-22 for, for South Africa in a sense that we have sectors that are 
early adopters of technology, of any innovation, and have been able to cope with them. But as it becomes more prevalent, more advanced, we have sectors that are going to be unable to cope, and um, and workers are going to obviously be more affected, and also even the the, the the workforce um, 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 dynamics in the sense that we are going to see uh, companies relying less on workers um, but also looking at different skills. So the skill sets, the kind of education are going to change. Of course, that is in the near future. Technology that is now in the workplace, in the two sectors that I have touched on, has had a tremendous mm-hmm. effect on employment and on the skills, across the skills, across the education level. So now, if you're taking that and the two sectors I talked about is banking and mining. So now if you take um, the the numbers that SPSA has put out and the unemployment rate and you're factoring that in and you're remembering that at the same time that uh, we, we, we have an economy that has not recovered, that un- unless a few quarters and a few more months of growth happen, uh, the recovery that we want will not happen, but even um, the job that we are seeking will always going to be lagging behind. So if that does not happen, then the overall, I think, output, um, the overall effect on technology of technology in the economy in South Africa at the current condition is going to be much more negative than anticipated. Lona, how can we ensure or, or come up with policies to or put these policies in place to ensure that at least sustainable uh, uh, hiring in the future is something that can be that can be uh, enforced? I mean, if we look at we're speaking about women that they are the most vulnerable at the moment, but perhaps it's also a there's there's an opportunity to refocus policies and ideas to assist women. Of course, yes. Um, Always um, we see in our country that women and children um, are the most disadvantaged uh, groups in our societies. And this stems, you know, way back into colonial times. And so any piece of legislation or any policies um, that can help or um, alleviate this poverty and inequality would be a great step. I mean, we saw last year the first whiffs of a BIG or a basic income grant um, being implemented through the Social Relief of Distress Grant. Um, as much as it was not enough to kickstart or as not was not enough um, to make the impact that it was supposed to make, um, it was a good step in the right direction um, in terms of um, having policy or in terms of having a social relief package um, to help to alleviate the strains. Um, and I mean, we've already spoken about how women, um, you know, bear the brunt of having to to um, care uh, for care work and to, for having to provide uh, for many households because we have a lot of female-headed households in South Africa. Um, but also women also bear the brunt um, of social reproduction. So not only for themselves, but for everybody who's living within the household and everybody who's associated with them. Um, and so if we, um, we were to talk about sustainability in terms of lessening the gap um, and making it less difficult or less challenging for women to infiltrate the labor market and to not only that, but also to ensure that when they do enter this labor market, they are not subjected to um, unfair pay or discriminatory um, 
settings where they are earning much less than their male counterparts within the same sector. And so this conversation would take many stakeholders um, to to have this conversation. And I'm talking government, I'm talking private sector, I'm talking um, civil society organizations. Um, literally, this would take a lot um, of voices because we have had these conversations. I mean, now it feels like we're just recycling the same conversations. We're just having the same points over and over again. We all know that women need the support. The women need um, the economic support that they have not been able to receive. Um, and so these conversations are well overdue. And if we were to be maybe strategic in the placement um, of these talks, um, I would say that we shouldn't shut out the the women and children. We shouldn't shut out the youth. Um, a lot of times when we're having policy-making discussions, it's usually behind closed doors. It's usually behind, you know, the upper um, half of, you know, big uh, towers. But include those that these policies are supposed to be impacting. Um, include women, include women that are working in sectors. Ask them how can this be changed or how can this be used to properly uh, facilitate you and the job market. So include those that these policies are supposed to be working for. And I think then we would see um, a great, number one, we would see a greater response in um, public service because then people would feel that they are being heard and that um, their issues or that um, their pleas um, are being answered. And then also we would have a better chance of a functioning um, economy. I mean, like we've already established, that as it stands right now, I mean, we just don't have the capacity. We just don't have the capacity to create more jobs. We don't have the capacity uh, for any kind of sustainability conversation. But these conversations do need to happen. And if we were to take them forward, then they would need to include those people that these policies were intended for. I'm going to ask you the same question, Mamukheti, but let's go for a break and then we'll try to wrap up our conversation. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu, and COVID-19. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French, and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunian Zovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. 
Welcome back to African Dialogue. We're looking at South Africa's unemployment statistics, which have hit an all-time record of 32%. And on the line to Mamocheti Molopiane, she's a labor analyst, as well as Lilona Mkleisibe. She's a researcher and budget analyst at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute. Mamocheti, policies that uh, we can we can create to ensure sustainable hiring, but also speaking to private sector, because it almost seems if it's difficult to hold the private sector to account to um, to assist or to come to the party when it comes to creating those jobs. The fellow guest has said quite substantial about um, possibilities about job creation and how we've had many many conversations um, around this. I I may add that one of the things I th- that is crucial and that we really need to do in South Africa is to ensure that people's basic economic security is not so tightly linked to to their employment. And by that I mean such that if a person uh, uh, job is lost, um, they do not find themselves in a in, in a bad situation because they no longer have 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 income. Um, I think that's one of the key things policymakers and, and, and across the board and, and, and all stakeholders should do that they need to de-link um, some key measures of economic security from employment. Um, I, and, and that could be, as we are, we've seen, uh, the attempt that was made through the basic income grant, it is still not, it, it is still not sufficient. Um, and we have seen that where public sector has offered services such as health and so forth. Um, it helps, but it is still not um, not enough such that people, if they lose their, their jobs, the rest of their life is affected. And I also think um, it's important to look at the quality of jobs that are being created, and that is something that the stakeholder, that is the private sector, comes in, that... Um, we, we 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 simply they should not be creating jobs um that um um uh, 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 lead to or are in a near wage stagnant uh, growth and such that workers who are low income earners are, are not able to move forward that you know somebody left a job where they are any x amount and they go to another job that they're any x amount and they are not moving them they're simply moving between occupation but they're not improving the quality of their lives i think um we require it, it would take boosting uh, the economic leverage and the bargaining power of of many of the low income workers of course uh, that brings into place a stakeholder that is trade unions and i think this is where a, a crucial role should be played by trade unions outside the politics that are now confining them from actually carrying out their their work to their members and one of the another way we can um uh, solve this or tackle this or try to address it really is they, I feel like in South Africa they, we talk about unemployment as fellow guests that said but there has never really been a concerted effort how do we remove this uh, stubborn pocket of employment uh, through targeted policies and program yes we have NDP we have um, new growth path we have um, um many other policies, but we do not really uh, come up with policies that include even the people outside economic activity to, to, to solve this problem. And I think up until we are able to pinpoint where um, 
whether it's by region or by area, but also by industry and 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 and, and people where the hotspots are. For example, now we know we've always known, not now we've always known that African women. Um, are most affected by 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 unemployment. Why is it that we have policies, um, putting in policies that will enable them to enter the the labour market easily? But also, uh, we know that most um, women are, are in informal work, are doing informal work. How do we find ways to make sure that uh, 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 we formalise some of that work, or we create opportunities that moves them out of informal work? And so. For, for 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 me, those are some of the key things that um, we, we 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 as South Africa needs to happen. But of course, we will always know that the politics and uh, the dynamics that are playing out between stakeholders do not necessarily allow that to happen. So prioritizing uh, moving forward together. It has not happened. We are seeing it now, even during COVID, that we have become distracted by. Uh, uh, side by news, that's what I call side by news, and not focus on how do we best tackle, for example, COVID, how do we best tackle unemployment this period. Instead, we are preoccupied with um, issues that are, are, are often surrounded around um, individual leaders and political leaders and, and, and their lives. And I think that is one of the key stumbling blocks for South Africa, that the politics have become so embedded in how we move forward, that we cannot try and move uh, forward without um, um, balancing it and, and, and trying to find a solution now. Because if you ask a young person standing at a corner, singing or dancing for bread or trying to do anything in their language, as they say, to hustle for, for income, um, it is not so much so that they are interested in who has done what, who has acquired it, but it's about how do I get my next meal? How do I get my next income? How do I sustain myself? For the average woman who is unemployed is how do I feed my child today? And 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 often the politics have clouded that. For me, that is one of the things that stands in the way of coming with implementable solutions that are tangible, but also that can be replicated across the country because it cannot be a big one solve solution. It must be small scale. It must be on a small scale, implemented and then replicated where possible and augmented. And we are unable to do that because somehow the politics have muddied and continue to hold a strong soy and upper arm, so to speak, on the economic realities of of people who are unemployed and of, of, of poor people and and literally of everybody in South Africa. That's where we'll leave it with you, ladies. Thank you so much for giving us your time to speak to us and to unpack this in very simple terms. What do these stats mean? A lot of work still needs to be done. Uh, it's definitely here. That's the voice of Mamocheti Molopiane. She's a labor analyst. She was also joined by Lilona Mkresiba. She's a researcher and budget analyst at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Let's move on to Jailani Tulo with the business news.
Thank you, Ayanda. Good morning. China says it believes the group of 20 leading economies should take a practical approach towards setting any global minimum corporate tax and demonstrate inclusiveness. Over the weekend, finance ministers from the group of seven major industrialized nations agreed to a global corporate tax rate of at least 15%. The historic deal could put pressure on other nations, including within the G20, which is due to meet next month to do the same. Speaking at a media briefing, spokesperson of the foreign minister says China believes the G20 will handle the concerns of all parties. China, which is a member of the G20 but not of the G7, currently has a corporate tax rate of 25%. Senegal could be producing COVID-19 vaccines next year under an agreement with Belgian biotech group Universals aimed at boosting Africa's drug manufacturing ambitions. That's according to news agency Reuters. African nations are struggling to acquire shots on the continent of about 1.7 billion. Only 7 million have been fully vaccinated. The collaboration highlights the opportunities created by a global push to channel money and technology towards production on a continent that makes only 1% of the vaccines it requires. Universals announced the signing of a letter of intent for collaboration with the Institute Pasteur in Senegal's capital Dakar in April. Under the agreement, the Institute would use vaccine production technology developed by Universals to supply COVID-19 vaccine shots to countries across West Africa. International agencies have warned that the economic toll from the COVID-19 pandemic has left more than 25 million people in Africa and Asia unable to afford electricity, threatening a global goal to provide power to everyone by 2030. According to an annual global report tracking progress on sustainable energy, two-thirds of those affected were in sub-Saharan Africa, deepening disparities in the region's access to basic needs like electricity as the COVID-19 pandemic crisis hit jobs and incomes in 2020. This threatens progress in the last decade, which saw more than a billion people gaining access to electricity since 2010, making 90% of the world's population connected in 2019. According to a research report from the short seller Boatman Capital, it says Anglo-American South African coal mines, which will be listed in a new vehicle this week, are worthless, given the scale of environmental cleanup costs. Anglo will list Tungela Resources in Johannesburg and London this week, handing ownership to existing shareholders as part of its retreat from thermal coal, the most polluting fuel. The world's biggest miners have been looking for to exit rather from the fuel emerged intense pressure from activists and some investors. And finally, Swiss authorities are intensifying checks regarding possible abuse of a short working hours scheme introduced last year to help soften the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the job market. According to the State Secretariat for Economic Affairs, around 900 possible cases of abuse had been detected as of May. It said a further 500 suspicious corporate compensation claims were found by unemployment insurance authorities. Switzerland last year extended and simplified access to its cool bait scheme that lets companies top up pay for employees on reduced hours with funds from unemployment insurance rather than laying them off it says it paid out around 13.10 billion dollars under the scheme in the 13 months to march 
Taking a look at the financial indicators at the Sawa, one US dollar is trading at 4.1255 Nigerian Naira, 10.57 Botswana Pula, 107.33 Kenyan Shilling, and at 22.42 to the Zambian Kwacha. The in BRICS currencies, the dollar is trading at 5.04 Brazilian Hue, 72.82 Russian Ruble, 72.86 Indian Rupee, 6.40 Chinese Yuan, and at 13.42 to the South African Rand. The US dollar is also trading at 71 pence to the British pound and at 82 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,884 and platinum at $1,163 per ounce, while Brent crude oil was last trading at $71.40 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Good morning to you, uh, Musibudi Makura with the sports news. Thank you, Ayana. Good day, sports fans. William Trosekong and Jumili Collins have been ruled out of Nigeria's second international friendly match against Cameroon because of injury. Now, the match will take place on Tuesday at Stadion Vina Nustadt in Austria. The two experienced players suffered different knocks as the Super Eagles went down 1-0 to Cameroon's indomitable Lions in the first friendly match last week Friday, also at the Stadion Vina Nustadt. Channel Africa's Tony Obana reports from Lagos. General, you know, told Nigerians, Nigerian soccer fans, that uh, the match was just a friendly and he was trying out, you know, some new players and also added that uh, Tuesday's match is going to be very difficult because in the very first match, two or three players had gotten injuries. Now, Eswatini defeated Lesotho 1-0 in an international friendly match on Saturday at the Sitsozo Stadium in Lesotho's capital city, Maseruna. Both teams were using the match to continue their preparations for the upcoming Kosafa Men's Cup to be held in South Africa from the 7th up until the 18th of July. Lesotho came into the match having been thrashed 5-0 by Mozambique in another friendly match last week. Tabosunong, head coach of Lesotho, says it was a better performance from his charges. Uh, it was a good game, very tough. Again, we throw some new faces. We gave caps, new caps. Um, I thought we really played well. You know, maybe for as long as like 60 minutes, uh, with a few inexperienced players, you could always make mistakes. And maybe that's why we were punished with a set play second phase. But I also felt that uh, Swaziland uh, gave us a strong competition. They used a lot of experience. Uh, we didn't have enough experience, but I think we have improved our performance. On to cricket news, England pace bowler Ollie Robertson has been suspended from international cricket pending an investigation into historical racist and sexist tweets. Now the post from or rather the posts from 2012 and 2013 were revealed while he was making his England debut during a drawn first test against New Zealand at Lords last week. Now Robertson has been dropped from the squad for the second test, which begins on Thursday. The tweets posted when Robertson was 18 and 19 years old old came to light on Wednesday afternoon while he was on the field of play. He has since apologized, saying he was embarrassed and ashamed. 
2021 edition of the African Athletics Championships will no longer be held in Lagos, Nigeria, as early anticipated. This follows the inability of the Federal Ministry of Sports and the Lagos State Government to get the needed go-ahead from the Presidential Steering Committee on COVID-19. Though originally meant to be held in Algeria, the Continental Championships were moved to Lagos as and rather and was built to be held between the 23rd and the 27th of June at the Tasman Bulagain Stadium. And finally, in tennis news, Roger Federer has withdrawn from the French Open to protect his body despite reaching the fourth round of the Grand Slam. Now, the 20-time Grand Slam champion took the decision the day after a grilling third-round win over Dominic Hoffer. Now, Federer, who won the French Open back in 2009, had a two-knee surgeries last week and had played only three matches in 16 months before arriving in Paris. He has made a note secret that his priority is this year's Wimbledon, which is the third Grand Slam of the Year, which starts on the 28th of June. Those are your sports news at the hour. That's all from the team. Thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you to Catherine Malega, our technical producer. Thank you to Benjamin Moshadama and Dumelo Zulu, our producers. And of course, our assignment and production uh, head or editor, Zanele Jambani. From myself, Ayanda Mkwanazi, have a fabulous day. Africa Midday is coming up next.